And welcome to yet another episode of the Stick to Hockey Podcast. Jason Mertitis at Jason Mert on Twitter, along with Russ Cohen at Sportsology, sportsology.com. It is episode 67. Who is this episode in, uh, in honor of, Russell? The Ottawa 67s, a fine franchise that have produced some really great NHL players, and they have a, a new rink that I've yet to see, and I hear it's terrific, so let's go with them. Ah, you're going to go the Ottawa 67s. In other words, you couldn't remember a player that wore 67. No, <laughs> not at it's all. It's not a common number. It's be- You know, it should have been a player that is somewhere in between the skill set of Lemieux and Yager. <laughs> yeah. But there's not many of those guys that exist. <laughs> it's probably somebody more in line with the skill set between, like, Mike Rathje and Sam Moran. <laughs> okay, I-, I can buy that. That's a good job. um so we got a ton to get into today uh as we're pretty we're at the all-star break now and you know teams have had their bye weeks leading into the all-star break they've had some have their bye weeks on the backside of the all-star break all sudden done pretty much everybody's got a 10-day break at some point on either side of this um and we got some power rankings that we're going to get into today sportsnet put out their power rankings but they included a pressing question so i want to put some of these pressing questions and power rankings to you a little bit later in the episode mm-hmm. um i got a bunch of flyer stuff i have to get in with too with you uh we have some twitter questions and uh all kinds of great stuff uh for this episode we'll also hear russ how about this i had a chance to sit down with flyers goalie coach kim dillabaugh mm, that's a good that's a good one yeah you know my uh, affection for uh jonathan quick out in la and oh, his yeah. career and of course kim dillabaugh was there for all eight years uh, his first eight years in, his, in the NHL as a goalie development coach were with Jonathan Quick. So he was along for the ride and really the guy in, in Quick who brought the uh, RVH or reverse vertical horizontal from overseas and put it into application in the NHL. And pretty much everybody and their uncles using it now. And yeah, he, wrote, I, he wrote it all the way to a con Smythe and, and a cup. I started to hear murmurs about Quick when he was with the Reading Royals. And and I at that point, I said, all right, let me keep an eye on this because I don't really know the player that well. I didn't know him that well at that time. And yeah, look at him now. Yeah. Tremendous. Uh, you know, play, I think he played at UMass Amherst. Yeah. But back and, then uh, UMass Amherst isn't what they are now either. Yeah. And he comes out and then he starts with the Reading Royals and then gets out uh, with LA and their AHL team and then all to the NHL. And we know the rest is history. And he's had a tremendous career. Um, one of the other things we're going to get into today, Russ, is the uh, PHWA, the Professional Hockey Writers Association put out their 2019-20 season midseason award winners. So we're going to go through these yeah. and I'm going to see if you agree and, uh, and see if some of these are in line with what you predicted. You've been doing pretty well at the prediction game of late. All right. So, well, maybe it'll be a tip of the cap to Russ. You'll have to stay tuned and find out. So Kim Dillbaugh coming up as well. And I, we'll get to- I, I will say this. As far as the Professional Hockey Writers Association, I was shocked at some of them and but the best thing that happened to me is I finally got my card in the mail. It was like lost in the mail. I am now number 99. So I am the true great one in oh that organization. God. They needed that. <laughs> That's not going to help your ego at all. No. Are you going to start signing number 99? Russ Absolutely. Cohen? Yes. <laughs> That's classic. Um, where I want to start, though, Russ, is I, I got to ask for your interpretation on something. You tend to cut through a lot of the bull. You know what? Right. Mm hmm. So I got to ask your interpretation on the following, because Evgeny Malkin had something to say last week when Matt Murray was getting booed at home. Now, he wasn't playing well. The team wasn't playing well. And here's what Evgeny Malkin said. He said, 
about Murray getting the Bronx cheers, if you will, when he made a couple of, you know, insignificant saves or, mm-hmm. or, or he just stopped pucks, if you will. And Malkin said, quote, it was stupid. I'm not understanding our fans. Muzz is what they call Murray. Won mm-hmm. two cups for us. You boo him. Why? You can, if you can come to the arena, support our team. All of us, we try. We play hard this year. We work so hard through injuries. We play good hockey. Maybe not last couple games, not early this game, but we try. And then he said, I understand you pay money for a ticket. You do what you want. But it's tough to sit on the bench and hear that. I don't like it. We hear that in Philly, not Pittsburgh. Now, was he saying the Penguins get booed in Philly or that happens in Philly where they boo the home team? No, he was saying that happens in Philly where they boo the home team. And it wasn't always like that. But the last couple of years, it's been like that. Mm-hmm. So, so he's partially accurate about Philly. He, the, th- the thing about the fan part is they do pay the salary. And I think players forget that. I really do think players forget that fans pay their salary. Like, if you know, not 100%. It used to be 100%. But the gate still matters in this league. But because of other things... I almost feel like players feel like, well, fans should just be behind us all the time because there are fans. Blind but, loyalty, yeah. Yeah, but there isn't blind loyalty because when there, you know, when there are moments when you're frustrated as a fan, you might boo. Now, me, I'm not a big booer, but I'm not going to kill anybody that boos. So I feel like that's just like an immature statement. I really do. Did that right kind of develop over years based on the raising of ticket prices? Yes. So a that ticket- can be... That's that's part of the equation. Yeah, because now I have to be even more invested financially and emotionally because it's costing more. Like, you know, so, yes, I, I think that has upped it. If tickets were like 10 bucks, if this were the XFL and, you know, we're five games into the season, probably nobody's going to boo, right? Because we don't even know these players. But Evgeny Malkin has made a ton of money. And so... Yeah, he probably feels a little disconnected from the fans at point uh, at times. And Matt Murray, who has won two cups and have, has gotten tons of praise, so what? He got booed. Who cares? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, and I get you know it's really hard on players when you're getting booed because you know, it's not like they're not trying. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, sometimes it looks like they're not trying and maybe they aren't. Maybe they just but don't would you rather them not care. You want them to be like St. Louis Cardinals fans where the Cardinals can never do any wrong. And it's just like clapping, cheering all the time or nothing like you, you, do you want that. Well, I understand the players. They're lament here. I do, especially mm-hmm. in a city where and this core of players with Sidney Crosby and Malkin, not Murray, but uh, Murray did get two of the cups. But even before that, but that core of that team has won three cups since 09. In a decade, basically. So, I will. Um, I will say this: on that team, you know, who never complains about getting booed. Sidney Crosby. Yeah. Never, ever, ever, and nobody gets booed more in this league. Now, I get not much from the home fans, but still, this guy gets booed more than anybody in the league. Yeah. Well, he doesn't get booed from the home fans because he never gives them anything to boo about. <laughs> right. That's true. He, he comes back in the lineup after missing 28 games, Russ, and was on fire until he got to that Flyers game on Tuesday night where he was held off the score sheet. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Totally true. But, yeah, I just – I look at this, and I get it. Look, fan um, players are humans. I understand. But it's not like Murray's getting this all the time. Yeah. It's not. Well, you got to have some thick skin as well, and that's, you do. that comes with playing professional sports. All right, Russ, um, since the Flyers got home from that – 
uh, obviously horrific road trip where they had all the losses to San Jose, uh, the Kings, Vegas, Arizona, and Carolina, the lone win coming in Anaheim in overtime. But since they've come home, they've faced the following teams. The Capitals at home, the Lightning at home, the Bruins at home, the Blues on the road, a back-to-back against Montreal, and then the Kings and Penguins at home. In those seven games, they come out with two points in five of them. Mm-hmm. These are teams, Washington top of the standings, Tampa Bay mm-hmm. playing almost pretty much as well as they did last year, and they're storming right now. They're the number one team in the power rankings. Boston top of the Atlantic division. St. Louis poised for another cup run, very legit. Uh, the Kings rebuild. Montreal uh, trying to come right now, and they're getting it together a little bit. And Pittsburgh is playing tremendously well with Crosby back. What do those five wins in those seven games mean? It means that they are probably the team I thought they were, and I said I thought they'd be this year's version of the Montreal Canadiens last year that will go down to the absolute wire and get a lot of points and maybe not make the playoffs. And right now they're not in the playoffs. Last year, what did Montreal have, like 90 points? Uh, Montreal last season? 90, 92, something like that. I thought they had like 95. They might have, and they still didn't make it. Yeah, Uh, it would have made the playoffs easily in the Western Conference, but they don't play yes. in the Western Conference. And, and I just feel like this is how the Flyers are so going. They had 96, now. Russ. 96. And didn't get in. And didn't get in. And I feel like the Flyers could do something similar to that. And it's a shame because the problems, this is good play. So that's, I don't want to take it away. That has been good play. But the problems that exist are still the problems that exist. And the problem is getting out of the cap problem to be able to make these trades now as an example if i'm going to look really short-sighted and trade someone like shane gossespierre who's got three years left on his deal because he hasn't had a great year for somebody that's either a rental or has an additional year on his deal like am i that desperate if i'm the flyers at some point you have to look at it and say you know and i think that's why chuck fletcher said i you know he'll try to make a minor deal but he also put him in this cap situation. So right now it is going to be very difficult for them to upgrade at the deadline. So if, if we're saying that mainly this team is mainly the team they have, they could very well come up short, but have a really good second half. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Um, Number one, who were the teams that made a big trade deadline deal and then went on to win the cup? I remember one and it was the Islanders. Was it Bobby Nystrom? Butch Goring. Or Butch Goring, yeah, sorry. Massive deal. No, that's fine. That was a massive deal. That was maybe the best case scenario deal. That was like when the uh, Tigers got Doyle Alexander. Yep. You know, that doesn't... But who's done it since? I see all these big deals and rentals and, look, high-end talent. I get it. And, And even like Duchesne last year. But it never seems to work out. Yeah, it it doesn't work out as well... As, you, as you'd like. Um, I mean, certainly the Rangers with Stefan Mateau. Mm-hmm. Right? He scored that a was, big goal. <laughs> well, that goal doesn't get him to the Stanley Cup, right? Yeah. So you have to, you have to say that. But it's, uh, but it's very few and very far between. Yeah. I, I, I will teams that do that. it every year, and they pay a premium to get these players a lot of times. But I think you're looking at, at the real high-end impact guys when sometimes – like the Blackhawks, when they got Kimo Tiemann in, that was massive for them. 
Yeah, but he was a, a sixth. It gives you depth. But it, but that they needed that depth. He didn't make any mistakes. He was yeah. really good when he was out on the ice. I think we overlooked the five, six, seven on defense that really can solidify your defense but, but in a playoff Timo cup Timo run. may have been big for them, but he's not the reason they won the cup. He's, I think he's a part of it. I, I don't think a very seen. small part, in my opinion. Okay, I mean, I you think see what I'm bigger. like. That's an easy move to make, you know, because he's a guy at the end, and the money wasn't going to be a lot. You didn't have to give up a lot in either prospects picks or, you know, whatever to get him. I'm talking about like because I know what's going to happen. We're going to get to the deadline, and Flyer fans going to go crazy because there's going to be a couple big names out there that are available, and they're not going to be able to get them because of that cap situation. And my point is this. Getting those guys, those big names, does not pay dividends. It is more of a disruption to your team in the late February, oftentimes, than it is something that helps your team. I'm trying to think, did the, um, did the Blues trade for Pat Maroon before the playoffs? I think he was there all year. I, I might have been there all year. I wasn't sure of that. Okay, because I remember he was with Edmonton the year before. Okay, yeah, you're probably right on that. There's going to be a few others we're not remembering, though. Uh, good luck. Uh, oh, I mean, I, if I went and searched the internet, I'd find them. Yeah, I mean, you're going to find a couple, but the percentage is probably well under 10%, 5% maybe. Yeah. Where that actually, and, and, the, and the part is, the risk isn't worth the reward here for me, and here's why, because is one player going to help the Flyers get to a cup final? Maybe, right? Whatever. But the price you pay is almost like two and a half to one. Yeah, I think that's fair. I just looked up team in the playoffs. He played 11.59 a game. I mean, that's, that's not bad. That's all they needed. No, look, I, I get what you're saying about team, and it's great to have death. And if you got a shot, you don't want one injury derailing all of your chances. Plus, they were, if you remember, that team was only like four deep on D. Yeah. Oh, no, no, they, you're right. They were. And they were having to ride Seabrook and, yeah. and, and Duncan Keith into the, into the ground. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my point is just like, I just don't know. I that. see your point, too. Yeah. And the other part of it, too, is this is, the general manager's in a tough position, Chuck Fletcher, because there's this variable of Nolan Patrick coming back. Is you there, know? though? He's still holding. Now, we were, I, I was okay. there last week when he we're spoke. We're all holding out hope. Holding yeah. out ho- hope is not a plan, though. It's not. But, but hope is a reality for him because, like, you can't go out and get a 3C and pay something significant for him and then have this kid all of a sudden, they medicate him correctly, and he's not suffering from the migraines. Okay, but they've had a long time to do that. Mm-hmm. Why is this going to happen now with, I don't know, maybe he gets back in there if he gets back in there with 20 games left? I mean, I don't even know if he could do that. When, they, when the second part of this season starts and we start seeing the crunch of games and the, the schedule just condensing, there's a lot of games every week now. And I just, I feel like if it was going to happen, it would have happened already. I'm not saying there's zero chance, but I can't hope that he's coming back for the playoffs. I can't hope for that. Yeah. I, I almost half expected them to say that he's, they're shutting him down for the year and they're going to just take, be patient with this and move forward after that. But um, that's not the, that's not what he said. He said he's still hopeful he's playing. I think they have ramped up his, um, his working out, but he's still not cleared for contact and we'll see where all that goes. And he but only traveled once this whole year. And that was because he went to Winnipeg in his hometown. Right. So that, that was probably part of that equation there. No, it's yeah. a free, free plane ticket, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> sure. um, um, so this Flyers team, they, they get that win over Pittsburgh, the 3 nothing win on Tuesday night. Yep. 
Um, to me, it was the best 60-minute effort that they've shown all season, all aspects. Yes. Goaltending was very good. The shot suppression and team defense was outstanding. They didn't allow a power play shot until the Penguins' final power play where they got three shots on that power play. Um, but they really did everything right in that game, and they were great in the neutral zone, especially the Voracek goal, which he was great in the neutral zone. What are you seeing out of Voracek's game? Um, I know people love to complain about Jake, um, and I, I get why. He, he can be a frustrating player at times, but right now he's playing some pretty good hockey, and it seems like he's adapted maybe a little slower to AV system, but he's playing it well now. He is. I mean, he's definitely playing a more defensive uh, game and less reckless, and that is paying some dividends. We all still are looking for a higher end on the offensive part, and maybe, maybe if that kicks in, that's, you know, that's a big add for them to get. But no, he he has played a uh, a better all around brand of hockey. I I just think they're still going to need more of his offense. Van Riemsdyk has ramped it up probably more offensively, and and that's had a really good impact because they definitely needed that. Because again, and you know, Faraby got a couple goals, which does really nothing more than give him confidence, a little confidence, and maybe keeps him up there. But uh, I can't tell you that's going to spark his second half. The thing, the thing about Jake is, if you want to say he's not a goal scorer, having the 10 goals, I could live with that. He's still only got 38 points mm. Yeah, in 50 games. Like, this is, for this type of player, and I'm not even, just forget about the salary at the moment. Just for the type of player he is, the type of ice time he gets, the opportunity that he gets, it's still lousy. It is. No, no, I get what you're saying. Overall, and, but lately it's been better. Yeah, and... And look, he's a guy that at this point in the season has gotten caught fire in previous seasons. I don't know why he's a slow starter. Maybe he can explain that better than we could. Um, you know, it's let funny. Me, I want... Let me explain this, though. And this is always baffling to me why this happens to some players. But going back to 2016-17, when he was a 20-goal scorer, making more things happen, he shot the puck, I think this is his all-time high, 473 shots mm -hmm. then 412 then 383 he's got 181 shots right now i mean it's only 30 games left so this is going to be his lowest total since you can go back to like his columbus days when he only played in a lockout well he only, yeah 48 games that was a lockout year right so yeah the partial lockout so he's just not shooting enough yeah, he's. I, I think he fancies himself so much as a playmaker, and there's. I think he does miss a lot of opportunities to shoot the puck. There's no he's not the only one. There's a couple of guys on the team that have been done that. Um, you mentioned JVR, um, and he's been playing really well. Actually, yes. you know, I had him on using his post body. Y that's exactly where I was going. I had him on post game okay. the other night. Did you even hear that? No, I, I brought it up to him. I said, I'd I like to tell you I did. I'm sorry, I was covering junior hockey in in Canada. Oh, way to support your boy. Um, <laughs> But I noticed it in the last couple, you know, two, three games and and the last two, the Kings game and the Penguin game in particular. And I said to him, I said, James, you're not a guy that likes to kind of chuck the body around a little bit. But I don't know if you just wake it, you, you know, your mattress isn't any good anymore. You're not getting you're waking up on the wrong side of the bed, but you're out there banging. Now, he only got credit for one hit in that game. But that, I think that was that was bad stack keeping because he had way more than that. Yeah, and he was the aggressor. And he and he got a big grin on his face. Does he need to do that to create a little bit more space? Because it's got his game in rhythm right now, and his distribution and assists lately have been spectacular. 
Yeah, he, he does. He needs something because if we still look at the hard numbers, he's probably going to reach the goal total he did last year or something close to the 27 goals. Mm-hmm. But like last year's assist, 21, really isn't acceptable. And he's got 15 right now. He's got 29 points. Like yeah. you want to talk about slow starts. That's for a guy of his magnitude, that's, that's a no start. Now he is player playing better defensively, great. And, and he is hitting people. But towards the end of the season, you're going to need him scoring goals and generating some sort of offense when he's not scoring goals. Even if it's just, even if he's not getting assists, but he's making good things happen. So I think that could be a part of it. But this team doesn't win without Voracek and, and Van Riemsdyk getting on the board most nights. They just yeah. aren't going to. Yeah, and Giroux uh, is, is on a, a slower point for, you know, point space this season as well. Um Elaine Vigneault opted on Saturday to move him back into the middle with James Van Riemsdyk and with the all-star Travis Konechny. Um, Drew yo-yoing back and forth between center and wing once again. Um, since he's been moved back, though, he looks like a different player. And all of those guys, that line's been their best line uh, over those two games from an offensive standpoint. Well, I mean, he is the best face-off guy in the league or one of them. He has been and- doing that well, though. Yeah. In the face, the team, Russ, I think in their last five games has not won the faceoff battle. They're still the number one team in the league overall. Yeah. So lately it's tailed off. Yeah. But he, he was still like up to a couple of weeks ago, one of the top guys. So, I mean, he's the best guy they've got. I will all agree on that. But yeah, huh. even offensively, he's, he's got to pick it up. I mean, we just named three guys. They don't even need to make a trade if those three guys are playing to to capacity but we've not seen that this year where all three have played to capacity at all times the only offensive player that has played to capacity all year is travis connecting he really yeah. is now you're you're right about that and he and that's why he's going to the all-star game right <laughs> I mean, right but, we're, but you know but we're talking about having just 32 games left this is not the half season mark like the half season left us already yeah no you're right about that and the and Connecty will head to the All-Star game, and he's been really consistent. He's missed a couple of games, too, when he had yeah. the concussion earlier this season on that hit. Um, but he's going to go this weekend. Um, the other guy offensively I want to ask you about, because in the Penguin game, um, Kevin Hayes mm-hmm. on the penalty kill. Um, I don't know if you saw the penalty kill where he ragged it, in essence, for uh, 20 seconds. And it was Kevin Hayes versus five Penguins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see the highlight. D of that. zone, neutral zone, offensive zone. Pull it back out to the neutral zone. It was pretty, pretty incredible. His ability to protect the puck and his penalty killing ability is really a big part of their success right now. Why they are, why they're not chasing the standings as in past years. It is, and that's why you'll never hear me argue or worry about his point total because he is doing so many other good things out there, and that's the biggest thing out there that he's doing. I mean, he has 14 goals, so. Like for people that want to rip on his money, his money is much more worthwhile than James Van Riemsdyk. It just is at the moment. They're getting more out of him as a complete hockey player. So that's something where that's very valuable. And that's something where that's why they needed Kevin Hayes. But yeah, just this team is at a point where they made all their moves in the offseason and they may not have much different players to play with in the second half. So now why am I going to believe the second half is going to be better? Are they all of a sudden a better road team now? Like that's what I have to talk myself into. All right. Well, um, I'll play devil's advocate. Um, number one, they've had the most difficult travel schedule thus far. 
Um, they've also had the most difficult and the most games on back-to-backs. They only leave the time zone one more time the remainder of the year in a ton of division games. Now, the ton of division games, uh, that's no party. When no. you consider six of the top 13 teams in the NHL play in the Metro. Yeah, but, even if, just as yeah. an example, even if the Rangers don't make the playoffs, you're still facing Panarin. You're still facing either Lundqvist, Georgiev for as long as he's there, or Shesterkin. So none of those games are easy. So you're right. The Penguins games aren't going to be easy. So, yeah, I mean, not leaving the time zone is a definite plus. But I still have to believe that they're going to do well on the road. And they haven't convinced me of that yet. Okay. Good point. All right. Um, let's get to the uh, Professional Hockey Writers Association midseason awards, and we'll get to Kim Dillaball, Flyers goaltending coach, right after that. So let's start. We're going to go from let's go from the bottom up here. The comeback player of the year. This is to the player who returned to a previous high level of performance that was interrupted by subpar play, long-term injury, or major illness. The professional writers vote, voted for William Nylander, which I'm surprised. That I was a contract shocked. holdout that yes. cost him that season. I am stunned he that caused... Duclair is not at the top of this. Well, I mean, I'm not stunned that Duclair is not at the top because I, I didn't have him in my even in my three. But I think he's worthy. It's just I, I found other guys. But the fact that the poor play was the cause of his own holdout, I don't think he even follows the criteria of the award. I, I, I just totally agree. I don't. I had Justin Hall. And Justin Hall is now playing in the top four for the Leafs. And he was scratched for like 71 games last year. So the difference with him is different coach has been able to prove himself again. And he's had a massive impact. Yeah. So I, on this one, I like my pick a lot better than William Nylander. Like I, I really hope no offense to William Nylander, but. I don't think he deserves to win that award. Um, we'll see. He might because of all the Toronto media that will help him win that award. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you who my other two were. So I had James Neal. Good one. James Neal. And then the third one, and people used to groan about this guy, but we have to give him credit, James Reimer. Yeah, it's great. He's been tremendous in Carolina. Tremendous. Yeah. You got to think that that Rod Brindamore system is pretty nice on goalies, too, when you consider sure. McElhaney's success there, Mraz's yep. success, and now Reimer, who in a lot of other places, none but of those Reimer, guys could get it right. Before that, everybody would call him a sieve, mm-hmm. can't win. Uh, I may have uttered some of that, too, right? And so well, I had to give him some some love there. Well, Russ, here, here's you make the case for one of the biggest things with goaltending. It is a The goaltender is a product of the environment right yes sergey bobrovsky in columbus was a, you know a vezina statistical goalie for yes. years right he goes to florida his numbers are horrific by the yep. way yep. um james reimer was in florida and sure. it wasn't joel quenville system but still it stands to reason he couldn't stop a beach ball from the blue line Mm-mm. now he goes to carolina and He's having a tremendous season. Look at guys like uh, Yaro Halak, who under Doug Waite's system, and Thomas Grice even, Doug Waite's system in, in the Islanders, Grice stays under Barry Trotz, and he's 
an elite goaltender, well, statistically elite at the top, giving up less goals and save percentage. Same thing with Halak in Boston. When you see two goalies on a team, both have really good numbers, like Phoenix. Yeah. You go, okay, they're a little bit more a product of their environment, too. Yes. They just don't see as many odd man rushes and high danger chances. And that's just the way it is. Robin Lehner's talked about it before. He knew that when he was yeah. in it, with the Islanders, he'd have great numbers. It didn't mean he was playing better than he is right now in Chicago. The reason I give Reimer a little bit more push there is because not even so much the product of his system, because with injury, with Morozik out, he played, you know, he, he had to be the man a little bit. He carried the mail. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good point. And, and look, good on him for being able to do it and, and keep it going. And that's a team that's ahead of the Flyers right now in the standings. All right. The uh, Jim Gregory GM of the Year Award. And this is the GM adjusted to have contributed most to his team's success. Um, the Professional uh, Hockey Writers Association has Joe Sackick at the top of this list right now. I'm okay with that. I didn't have him. I had Doug Armstrong first, Sackick second. Mm-hmm. Uh, Armstrong got Justin Falk there after winning the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. And he's actually got them in position to repeat. That's something even the Blackhawks couldn't do. And so I've got to give Doug Armstrong a lot of credit. Because just that move, and that was maybe one of the better moves in the offseason, right? Has them still playing at that level. And he's also, Falk is a protection for Petrangelo. Yes, down the line. But just for this season, think about what it's added. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a double whammy. He's got, he's he's covered himself, made his team better, and he's protected if Petrangelo leaves. If he wants to cash in at Petrangelo on a huge payday, and that's his right to do. Yeah. um, then he's still protected. Yeah, they had Chaika number two. Of course, went out in the Taylor Hall trade. Yeah, which also I'm fine went out and with. got Phil Castle in the offseason, made some moves. Um, so it was Sackick, Chaika, and Doug Armstrong. Um, the Jack Adams. And this is a very interesting category. This, this one shocked code. me. This shocked me. Shocked really? me. Really? Shocked me. All right. Well, the, the writers have Mike Sullivan as the top guy with Tortorella and Baruby behind him. I love all three of these. They got the right three. Um, but you have a problem with the order, I'm assuming. Yeah, because, well, I didn't have Sullivan in mind, but I don't mind having Sullivan in there. I think you didn't put Sullivan in yours? Nope. Oh, my goodness. I'll give you my guys after. Crosby but... out 28 games, Latang missed time, Malkin, no Gensel, basically the rest of the way, and you so got what... no Mike Sullivan. Wow. And that team still had more talent than Torts' team. And that, I, I had Torts number one, and Torts deserves to be number one. And he's got his team in the playoffs. And his team is right now ahead of the Flyers. They did nothing in the offseason but lose players. Ahead of the Leafs. <laughs> ahead of the Leafs. I mean, how, how are we even talking about this? Like, how is this even a discussion? Yeah. So, but I'll tell you, my number two still, I have Jared Bednar. Because if you want to talk about still lost games, you know, they lost Rantanen for a while. They, that team, you know, wasn't 100%. There were other players, too, that were in and out. I just think he gets forgotten. And I have Baruby as third. Because I yeah. still think Berube has proven himself now. Now, he's doing a great job. and But again, I have no problem with Sullivan. The biggest problem I have is how Torts is not the top guy. Yeah. Yeah, Torts, is, he's done an amazing job. He and really I'm has. I'm not a Torts supporter for the most part, as you know. But I am fair in giving credit and criticism. And a lot of times he deserves both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know I'm a big Torts guy. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to the Vesna. Uh, Connor Hellebuck. 
I partially see it. I have Hellebuck as, as third, but I'm going to give you my second is Jordan Bennington because, again, for all the people that kept saying he's a fluke last year, and, well, how is he this year? Yeah. No, no he's playing well, and he is a guy – a little bit of a product of his environment. I, I'm still not completely sold that he's going to be oh a gosh. 10-year goaltender. I'm just not. But Okay, fine. Whatever. But okay, I might get there. You, I mean, you might. Number one I have is Andre Vasilevsky. And too. for anybody who's going to pound the table, I just heard an argument on another show that, well, you know, the coach wasn't completely happy with him early on when they were losing. And I'm thinking he's got the most wins in the NHL and a 917 save percentage on a team that was playing like garbage. Now, even if you want to tell me some of those games when they played like garbage was because of him, fine, but he still has the most wins in the league. Yeah. He's tremendous, by the way. He's Yeah, I just, it's funny. I, I actually had to defend him on another show, and I was, like, a little surprised. But he's 24-9-2. Is that a product of the team? Go look at that defense. It's not. Yeah, well, they have, they're much better defensively this year. They're better last this year, year they traded sure. with you. Yeah. Yes. They just fly up and down the They played pond hockey last year. No, no, this year. That's why I killed them in the playoffs. Defense. Yeah. Yes, they do. Much but still, he's, he's, he's got the most wins in the league. Anderson's got the second. He's not on the list. Jordan Bennington's got him the third. You don't believe in him. Connor Hellebuck is fourth, which is amazing. I grant you. Carey Price is fifth. And Bob is sixth. Okay. Now, I will tell you this. Marc-Andre Fleury, who's seventh, he keeps playing the way he is. He's going to get in the conversation, too. Yeah. It's amazing, you know, going to Vegas, what that did for him. Oh, yeah. It really is. Um, the Calder, the rookie of the year. It's, you know, we're not even going to argue. There's no sense in arguing well, about number one. It's Kale McCarr. Right. There's no argument. Number two, though, is getting close in Quinn Hughes. And, and I think he's making a race of it since McCarr missed a little bit of time. But... I do still back my Makar preseason pick, and I back the Makar pick. Um, third, I have Dominic Kubelik because, you know, he's got 20 goals with Chicago. Yes, Is he drafted in the seventh round, Russ? Uh, something like that. Uh, but yes, Seriously, he, it's crazy. He, look, he's playing with, with good offensive players. He has made the most of his opportunities. He is a right winger. These guys are playing top 4D, actually really num- top pairing D, and – the fact that they're doing that makes the job harder, but I got to give still some kudos to Kubler. Yeah, they, great job that he's doing, and what a find that is for that team. Yeah. Um, let's go to the Norris, and we can't argue this either. It's John. People Carl. online are though. Yeah, because there's nothing better to do. Yeah, but no, John John Carlson's running away with it. Um, my point sec- pace. Yeah, my second it's- one's Roman Yossi. Agreed. Now, interesting one is for third, I have Keith Yandel. Wow, yeah, he should have been an all-star. And he should have been an all-star. He never misses a game. He has like 31 assists. Where would Florida be without him? Yeah, no, that's a great point. See, that, that's why you're the greatest, Russ, because Thank you. you look at everything. I mean, I try. Obviously, I fail. He's like six believe. eyes. <laughs> 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 Let's go to the Selkie. The winner right now, according to the Professional Hockey Writers Association. How about Sean Couturier? Totally deserving. I did have him second, though. I did. Behind who? Uh, Riley? Nope. Mark Bergeron? Stone. Nope. Mark Stone. Oh, you went with a winger. You're like an aristocrat. Well, I'm not like an aristocrat. I, I feel like 
last year, because Stone made it as a finalist, everybody just sort of bailed off like, okay, so look, he was the first as a finalist, but we're not going to do that again, right? We're not going to actually give it to a winger, are we? And, and I just feel like this is the the way it is. But I feel like, go look at Vegas. What would Vegas be like without Mark Stone? Uh, he's he, tremendous, yeah. He, he's only a plus eight, but the highest on the team, I think, is plus 11. Yeah. And so he's that. He's, play, he's going up against the top line of every team. He plays hard minutes, man. Hard minutes. Yeah, he's a tremendous player, and they're... I'll tell you what, that team made the trade, and they're, they got themselves a gem in that in that extension, no doubt about oh, yeah. it. And I got O'Reilly third. So. All right, yeah, so the, the uh, PHWA has Couturier 1, Bergeron 2, and O'Reilly uh, as number 3. Let me give you a number on that. I saw this on Twitter um, regarding um, Sean Couturier and the Selkie, and it's, it was pretty crazy um, about the, uh, the status of... Um, Couturier, Al- Alexander Appleyard uh, put this out on Twitter. A.V. Appleyard on Twitter. Right, right. Um, he's an overseas guy that follows the team, gives out great information, so keep doing it, Al. Um, he said, on the, on the subject of the Flyers-Couturier potential Selkie win, he goes, this is his draft plus nine season, okay? okay? He said the exact same point for Bergeron, this is when Bergeron won his first Selkie in his plus nine season. And he says Couturier actually, actually has better Selkie voting record than Bergeron at that age. Prior to Bergeron winning it at plus nine, he had gotten a fourth place and a fifth place voting for the Selkie. In Couturier's plus nine season, he got a two, six, eight, and nine. It's a pretty impressive company. It is, and I, I think he has hit on a little something, but I'm looking up something because... And I don't want to diminish this for Couturier. I just always sort of look at it and say, okay, well, what was the reason? Okay, and now I'll give you the reason. The reason that it took Bergeron so long is because Brindamore was winning it in a couple of years, and then Datsuk won it for a bunch mm-hmm. of years. And so I actually think it was harder for Bergeron to break into the category, to be fair. Really? I, I look do. at some of these guys now, and you talk about guys like, when you I mean, they should rename the award Bergeron. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? I mean now, but when he won it his first time, Datsuk was a three-time winner. Brindamore was a two-time winner. So yeah, I mean, I, so I mean, but think, think about the guys years. that have won it the last couple of years. You got Bergeron, of course, O'Reilly, and then you have Andre Kopitar. There, there, there's a couple other guys that should be in this conversation and will be at some point, like Barkov. Yeah, Stone, as you mentioned earlier. So, um, but I mean it, Bergeron to be fair, hasn't even won it as many times as Datsuk, and Datsuk won it four in a row. Yeah. Datsuk when you win it four in a row, that's, to me, I'm sorry, yeah. three in a row. Three in a row. And when, when the voters go repeat even once, and then two times in a row, so three total, you know that it's just head and shoulders. Yeah, he's up, equal. Yeah, Bergeron's equal now with Datsuk, but, you know, he's played more, I think he's played more NHL games than Datsuk, I'm pretty sure of that. Um, all right, so let's get to the last one. It's the Hart Trophy. And uh, they have Connor McDavid right now, Nathan McKinnon, and David Pasternak. I have Pasternak third. I have McDavid second. I have McKinnon first, not because that was my preseason vote, but again, he's played without Rantanen for a fair amount of time this year, and he ramped up his game. He only has eight PIMS. So, like, I just, this is no offense to Connor McDavid, but 
I mean, if we're just going to give the award to Connor McDavid every year and just say, well, he's the best player in hockey, check. He's the best player in hockey. He's also check. on a 127-point pace, though. Okay. So let's let's not act like he's – No. A, and his team's doing better. So, well, this moment they might be. But again – Oh, man, you are negative today. I love it. No, I mean, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just trying to, to balance it out. But, again, I think when you look at it, man, it's, it's a hard choice. I mean, it's a, to, me, to me, it's a hard choice. Yeah. I noticed to some, to me, it's not, it's not just about points. So how many points does McDavid have this moment? 76. Okay. And McKinnon's got 75, McKinnon's got 72, Pasternak's right. got 70, and 37 goals leading the way. Right. And, and actually, if you think about it, like those are the three. And it really is going to be just how you slice it. I don't think anybody else gets in it. I know people are talking about Panarin. Yes, Panarin could end up in the top five, but he's not going to win it. Unless somebody gets really hurt, they're not going to win it. Now, how many goals does McDavid have? McDavid has, uh, let's see here. He has 49 apples. Can you do the math on that? Um, mm-hmm. And he has 27 goals. Okay, and McKinnon's got 30. Yep. I mean, I don't know. If McKinnon scores more goals, are you going to still give it to the guy with more points? Well, I mean, look, it's, it's the heart. It should be – I don't even know what they're voting on. They say it's the most valuable player to his team. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think that's the case sometimes. I think they give it to the best player. No, I think that's fair. I mean, but I, I just I just feel like it even face off wise, they're probably pretty close. They're probably pretty close in shooting percentage. Like this to me, this is gonna go down to the wire and it can't just be about points. Yeah. Um they don't have it on the on the award the Richard because they don't vote it. Right. But Ovechkin's gonna overtake Pasternak. You agree with that, right? No. No, you don't th- you think Pasternak wins the scoring title? Yes. Well, I, don't. He, I think he's hotter this year. And and I think that eight goals in the last and three and he had the three game stretch with eight goals did Ovechkin. So, so and, you knew, and you know where all eight were coming from. <laughs> no, but that's fine. But that that enabled him. So so how many does Ovechkin have right now? Ove- well, Pasternak's got thirty seven. Right. And Ovechkin and Matthews each have thirty four. Okay, so he did that, and he's still three behind. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, if you're. <laughs> If you're that rosy on it, good for you. But I just think Pasternak has got the hotter hand this year. I do. I think he's got it over both those guys. All right. So, all right. We're going to – you're going to hear my conversation right now with Kim Dillaboff, Flyers goaltending coach, and we're going to come back and get to some Twitter questions. You good with that? I am good with that. All right. Here is Flyers goaltending coach Kim Dillaboff. Had a chance to catch up with him a couple days ago. I'm very excited, and everybody listening probably knows why, because I'm sitting down with Flyers goalie coach Kim Dillaball. Kim, how you doing today? Doing very well, thanks. Uh, it's rare that people get a peek behind the goalie curtain. Goalies don't speak a lot. Um, goalie coaches don't speak a lot. And with the development of Carter Hart here, uh, Brian Elliott as his backup, I definitely wanted to speak with you. Now, you spent uh, eight years with the Los Angeles Kings in the director of uh, player development role. And you worked with a guy that uh, happened to be pretty darn good, an American goaltender as well, and Jonathan Quick. Played, started his pro career in Reading with the uh, Reading Royals, made his way to the AHL, and you got your hands on him. And the development was uh, pretty astounding, and the finished product was amazing. A couple of cups, a con Smythe along the way. Uh, what was it like working with a guy like Jonathan Quick who's got a ton of compete in his game? Yeah, I mean, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, he – 
he was just a guy that was really, uh, you know, just a, a great competitor. You know, he's a guy that always uh, loved challenges. Um, the only thing that really he wanted to do, uh, he didn't. It didn't matter how the outcome ended; it was all about winning with him. So whether it was a, a six-five game or a two-one, as long as he got that uh, that win, that's really all that mattered to him. But uh, you know what? He was a guy that was thirsty for knowledge, a guy that really wanted to invest in his game. Took a lot of time to build on uh, what he had in terms of um, getting stability to his game and just uh, rounding his game out to kind of the finished product that you see today. The goalies that you've had had here in Philadelphia you've had a few um it was it is it the nightmare of a goalie coach to ha- have what happened last year going eight deep I mean, that's a tough yeah. position for you I mean you were next yes I was next <laughs> I was next a few different times but uh yeah I mean injuries are never uh, something you like to see at any position and obviously from the goaltending standpoint um you have to dig deep into your uh, you know, to your stable to replace guys when you go through uh, a situation with that many injuries. So um, it was a challenging uh, uh, time for uh, our group and our goaltenders. And, you know, a lot of the guys that came through, um, you know, uh, did did a good job. And it's a challenging situation when you're coming in into an environment um, and you're trying to gain traction and, and uh, trying to get yourself uh um, you know, established and, and uh, can be challenging. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely not a record you want to, you want to have to uh, be a part of. But you know what? Again, it's something you can't control. Injuries are part of the game, and you got to try and manage as best you can. And you brought some pretty good guys in with Pickard and a guy like Mike McKenna, who's just a great guy. Um, working with a young goaltender like Carter Hart, not that this is completely unchartered territory for a young goaltender to make an impression on the NHL uh, under 22 years old. He's a kid that has been preparing for this stage all his life from a mental standpoint, on the ice, off the ice. Talk about what you've seen out of him up here at this level, really, since you drafted him and the development that he's had over the past couple of years. Well, he just takes he takes every day as what it is. You know, he doesn't look too far ahead. He doesn't try and plan long term. Um, you know what he wants to accomplish. It's about the day to day process. So, if if it's a practice day, it's about getting the most out of that practice. If it's a game day, obviously there's a preparational phase and going through the right protocol to prepare for the game. If it's an off day, it's about looking after your body the right way. Um, you know, getting your rest and your recovery and doing all the little things that are going to help you perform. So, I think he's he's had that short-term mentality and approach to things and uh, a big uh, uh, you know constant for us is focusing on the process and not worrying too much about uh, what's down the road it's about what's in front of us uh, today. Why was it so important for you guys you know Brian Elliott comes back that wasn't a foregone conclusion that he would be back a lot of people say well there's other goalies in the system Anthony Stolarz was here maybe that's the option to bring a veteran goalie to be the tandem with a guy like Carter Hart, that's pretty important to be able to show him how to be a pro and handle the ups and downs of a, a really tough league. Yeah, I, I mean, Brian's been a good goalie in this league for a long time, and he's played good hockey for us here through his time in Philadelphia. And uh, There's a, a relationship there with him and Carter uh, leading into you know uh, the decision for him to come back and be a part of our organization again this year. So, you know, there's a lot of variables that lined up that made... Uh, Brian a really good fit for us and and again you know we uh, we want someone that's going to go in there and compete with Carter as well and, and Brian's done a good job of that you know I think and you have a competitive environment there both guys um, want the net they're challenging each other for the net they raise their level and uh, again Brian's a good professional 
Um, he didn't take an easy pathway to get to the NHL. Um, so he had some different challenges. He had to overcome adversity. He had to overcome to become an NHL goaltender. And um, I think that's that's a good thing for a young player to see. Um, the tweaks to Carter's game, as I mentioned, he's a very technical goaltender. You know, a lot of uh, repetition involved in, in the way he's prepared his game for this level. Uh, when you got him, what were some of the things that you wanted to maybe adjust a little bit? Depth, post integrations, anything like that? Yeah, I, you know what? Um, you know, he, like you said, he's very polished, very... Uh, well-structured and, and uh, more so than some of the veterans in the league. Yeah, by the way. he's worked extremely hard. He's got a good network of people that he's worked with over the years. So, you know, obviously you look at, at how he plays the game and, um, you know, it, it's very mature for, uh, you know, for a goaltender his age. But um, I think the one thing you run into, and we had this uh, through my time in Los Angeles with guys like Jonathan Quick, Jonathan Bernier, Martin Jones, guys like that, that, you know, it's about transitioning their game to the next level. You know, things happen a little bit faster. Um, the execution's a little bit better. Um, you know, so there's different things that your game has to adapt to, um, being a little bit uh, more urgent, making sure you're aware of what's going on away from pucks, learning when to abandon your structure and be uh, athletic or dynamic, and, and sometimes just finding a way be in desperation yeah. mode. And I think for a guy like Carter, it's very similar to a guy like Jonathan Bernier, who had such a good, strong technical package, reads the game at an extremely high level. Sometimes at the lower levels, you don't have to be as dynamic or come outside your structure as much. And, you know, like you, we talked about earlier, in our position, we can't control a lot of things that happen in front of us. If a puck hits off a shin pad and ends up on a player's stick at the side of the net and you have a split second, you can't get yourself over there typically the way you would want to. So you have to do something in a desperation fashion to try and keep that puck outside the net. So uh, at the lower levels, uh, you have a little bit more time to use your structure in those situations. At the highest level, you don't have to. So it's adapting in those situations and find a way to balance your game out a little bit more. The best goalies in the NHL all have a unique ability. It, part, you know, part of it, obviously, is athletic ability, but they also have an ability to read, to read plays, read threats, and do those kind of things at an elite level. How's that developed in his time so far with, here with the Flyers? I, I think you can break it down into two different categories. There's more structured reads where pucks are maybe moving around the perimeter and you can take information in by looking off pucks when they're in non-threatening areas and kind of gather information that way. And, and to me, that's more of a structured read. Then you have your dynamic reads where, like I said before, things happen quickly. The dynamics of a play change quickly. You have to make that read and adjust and adapt. And I think that's been the biggest thing for Carter is getting better in those situations. Um, and it's more so him not having uh, to face as many of those at the lower levels. And here things happen extremely quick. And sometimes um, in those situations there, um, you know, you don't have a lot of time. So therefore, you got to make sure that um, you're prepared in those situations. You got to make uh, quick decisions with limited information. That's where sometimes, again, you have to have more tools to rely on in those situations to be successful. Yeah, and NHL players, they know how to put layered screens on you and things like that at such a level that they're try they know how to make it really difficult on a goaltender. Uh, for sure. Like I said, it's, uh, you know, uh, at this level, um, people, um, the preparation on, on all fronts is a lot better. People know what they're up against every night. Um, they do their homework and, and the pre-scouts. And so, you know, you're informed on the people that you're going against every night. So you have to make sure um, that, you know, my philosophy a lot of the time is is, is we obviously prepare for our opponent, but we got to make sure we're prepared. We're prepared to do our job. We're, we're, if we operate at the level we're capable of and we're detailed and our habits are where they need to be and we're focused on what we need to do be, 
do to be successful. Um, really in the big picture, the opponent shouldn't matter. Last question for Kim Dillaball, Flyers goalie coach. Um, two goalies are all different. Some of them like a lot of video. Some of them like a lot of pre-scout. They like to know what guys are going to do on a shootout prior to that game. Some of them don't like that because they don't want to be leaning and get caught looking bad. What do your goalies prefer? Uh, you know what? I have uh, some of the goalies I've dealt with over the years like to have more information, some uh, less information. And again, it's... Um, you know, it's about how you prepare, and, and I think if you worry about your game first and foremost, you're better equipped to handle anything that might unfold. Sometimes teams change attacks. Some uh, of your opponents might like to do something, but again, we all adapt and change, and some of those changes happen in game. So you can't get too focused on that because then I think you can get uh, a little bit predetermined in how you're going to handle situations, and if you're not processing things sometimes in in real time, um, you can set yourself up for failure. So I think there's a balance there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, and again, sometimes in shootouts, we'll talk about tendencies, let alone exactly what guys might like to do because they can deviate and change. So, um, but there are some certain tendencies you can pick up on, whether it's on a, a five on five, five on four individual tendencies or, or things in shootouts. There's always little things you can pick up just to give yourself a little bit of an edge. And you definitely want to go on, oh, this guy always goes high blocker. You're thinking he goes high blocker, and then he just slides it right past your glove. Yeah. <laughs> we don't like that. It's a bad it look. typically doesn't look good. So, yeah. <laughs> Kim, hey, we appreciate you doing this. Uh, good luck. Uh, the rest of the season all right thanks very much all right there you go flyers goaltending coach kim dillabaugh joining the stick to hockey podcast um russ we got to get to some twitter questions it's that time of the program and i know you love this time when the people chime in with some great questions all right all right so here we go um of course you can follow the uh podcast at stick to hockey pod russ at sportsology myself at jason mert so here is the first question and it's Isaiah, and he says, how weird is it to be back on your former station as a Flyers employee, or does it feel triumphant? And you answered it on Twitter. You said, well, oh, oh, you mean Jason. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't feel weird to me to answer your question, Isaiah, um, but it feels good to be back to work, that's for sure. So, um, But anyway, let's go to Philly Sports Pro, Russ. He says, with the recent ability for the Flyers to beat top teams, and we went over that earlier in the episode, do you feel the Flyers have finally found a groove and settled in the AV system? And do you think it will continue? I do think it will. They found a groove. I think it will continue. And I think that all the teams that are in it are going to play just as good at hockey. And that's the problem. So yeah, that's the biggest problem here. It's like, had they been doing this a month earlier, we might be having a different conversation. But they're still chasing. Yeah, and I think... And pending when they get Hart back is a part right. of that too. Like Elliot's going to hold down the fort, and he's and he's been good in doing that. But Alex Lyon's just not an NHL goalie. No, and 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 they actually that game that he played, they basically gave away two points. Yeah, they did uh, because they had to send down two players to bring up one. They brought mm-hmm. up the cheaper one, right? Not even Barube. They brought up Lyon because he was the cheaper one, and they gave away two points. And so. Yeah. He's going to have to play. Alex Lyon's going to have to play. How many of those games is he going to win? Well, this break couldn't have come at a better time for the Flyers right. and Carter Hart. It really couldn't. True. Um, Mike tweets in at Super Dino Mike and says, Milbury made an offhand comment about Giroux not being coachable, I guess, on Tuesday. He said, that's not something I've ever heard before. Has this been a criticism of G throughout his career, or was Milbury just saying words out loud? Now, I saw this question, and I kind of Googled it on Twitter, and I didn't see anybody else mention it. Um, which leads me to believe that maybe, Mike, you heard something different. One thing he did say, Russ, 
was that Giroux hates playing center. How do we and, know that? And I don't know that that's true for Milbury. I don't either. I think that that's BS. Because to me, Giroux has always said, and uh, publicly and, and privately, that he's fine playing either place. I've always heard, I'll do what the team asks of me. Yeah. And I've never heard otherwise. And we, you know, I'm around even for other stuff, for other scuttlebutt. I have friends in Canada when he's in Canada. I have never heard otherwise. So, look, if we're going to start using Mike Milbury as a source, we're all in trouble. Yeah, good point. As a matter of fact, I had um, the other night I had Gord Miller on from TSN Yeah. before the game. And the first question I asked him was, is when you come to Philly and you have to do a game with Milbury, do you dare go out to dinner in the streets of Philadelphia with Mike Milbury? <laughs> and Mike was sitting right, Milbury was sitting right behind me. <laughs> oh, I, I will tell you this. Winter Classic at Wrigley, I'm using the men's room. All of a sudden I hear booing and I literally just walked in the men's room. I look behind me, it's Mike Milbury. He was getting booed going to the men's room. All right, this question comes from Matt on Twitter. He says, any chance the Flyers could unload Ghost and his contract to a tanking team like Detroit or Ottawa to free up some cap space? And can they also transfer to the Pacific so they can be the first place team instead of sixth? <laughs> all right, so the first one is I'm all for trading Shane Goss to Spear. But again, like I said earlier in the show, I am not just going to dump him to save cap space. I'm not doing that because if I have to do that, if that's what I'm doing, now I have to give up assets to get that done too. And so now I'm really hurting myself for the future because, you know, there's not a lot of defensemen. They have a gap here between like when a guy like Cam York is going to get to town. There's a gap. Cam York's going to have to go back to college next year, play another year, and then we'll see where Cam York is at. You can't just be in a rush to get rid of Shane Gossespierre without having all of the pieces in-house. And we can't say Myers is completely ready. Are, are we ready to say that yet? Oh, man. I just – when he – he still does make some mistakes. You're, you're right, Russ. But yeah. When he plays well, man, oh, his skating I, is just you. something. Oh. I'm with you. Um, Gossip Spare, I know people want to get rid of him, Russ, but he's not like a bag of you know, coffee grinds and, right. and trash that you just leave on the side of a highway. He still does have market value. So mm -hmm. to just you know, want to get rid of him in that regard, I think is foolish. If you want to make a trade and involve him, I'm okay with that. Um, well, as part of some kind of package deal. But here, here's the question I, I want to ask. Dump them is ill-advised. Yes. Here, here's the question I want to ask. Are you going to just throw out all caution to try and make the playoffs this year on a year where you're probably getting bounced by the second round anyhow? Or do you want to be good in maybe a year or two for the next six or seven? Like, that's yeah. where they're at right now. I get that the corporation wants to make the playoffs, they want to make more money. I understand that. But there is going to be a divide here when all of a sudden it's you're going to have to do one of these things that I just said, one or the other. No, no you're dead right. Um, let's get to Dan Gesserich. And thanks for tweeting. Dan, you're the man. Dan the man. Uh, he says, thoughts on the rumor that the Flyers reached out to the Kings about a potential trade for Jeff Carter. Now, I got some insight here. I'm told that they absolutely did reach out last season, not this season. He has two more years after this on his contract at 5.2. He does not want to be traded. One of the things he has said is, you know, he would consider retiring if he were traded. Um, I think that they're more likely talking about Toffoli this year than Jeff Carter. Right. 
and they still would have to work that out cap wise. Yep. Remember what Jeff Carter was like in Columbus, and that's when he could play. You don't want Jeff Carter in a situation where he's not happy. So I would never want to do that deal. Yeah, and the other part, I mean, look, he he was here and he mentioned that he liked playing here and it was a you know early part of his career. I mean, he's been gone for nine years. It's crazy to think that, but um, and he's still under the Flyers contract that they signed him to. Um, but the thing is, is yeah, you don't want a disinterested Jeff Carter. He's no. got a wife, kids now. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think it's the right move either. Mm-hmm. Um, Joshua Hudson, last one, Russ says, do the Flyers have enough right now to catch the Islanders, or do you expect a trade to put them in position for a number two, two or three spot in the division? No, I think it would have to be a trade if they want to uh, to be in that spot. I I think right now this team either makes one of the wild card spots or they don't make it at all. Okay, I'm going to give you a bold prediction, Russ. Okay. The, the New York Islanders will not make the postseason. That's a bold prediction that could happen. I mean, when they lost Adam Pellick, they did lose something. Mm-hmm. But they do have tons of cap space. And yep. so they could make moves the Flyers can't just so they can make the playoffs. That's a big advantage that they have. Um, here's the thing. And and they're at a very pivotal point in their season. They've given up. They lost twice to the Rangers. They've given up that They gave up that huge lead to the Caps where they're up 4-1 in the third. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Barzell got benched for the entire third period. Granted, it was 3 nothing when he got benched. Yeah. And eventually 4 nothing. But Barry Trotz benched him for the entire third period. They're at a crossroads in a lot of areas mentally behind the scenes in that room. And I don't know that they're equipped to handle it this year. I thought they played over their head last year, and I don't think they're. I think they're going to end up missing out on the playoffs. They're I not that secure for how well they played earlier this season. I think it's possible, but it's still possible for them to miss out on the playoffs and have Columbus take their spot and have the Leafs make the playoffs and the Flyers don't make it. Like that's possible too, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, no question about <laughs> I mean, it. This is this is how tight it is. There's. I'm still in the position of thinking for there's like four teams for like two spots. Yep. There absolutely is. I've never seen anything like it here in the Eastern conference. Yeah. I mean, Toronto is right now the 10th seed in the conference. Right. So are we ready to pour dirt on uh, Buffalo, Montreal, the Rangers, senators, devils, and red wings? Oh yeah. So they're, you know, Buffalo and, and Montreal, 51 points. So they're nine back with yeah, 30 to go. Basically they're it's done. Over. Okay, so those teams will pour dirt on them. The, the teams that are on the outside looking in, trying to get in, are Toronto and the Flyers. Right. Now, the easy answer is to say, well, the Flyers will just, if nothing else, overtake Columbus. But the tough part is, if Elvis keeps playing the way he is, Columbus is going to move up. All right, Russ, last thing. Do we pour dirt on Nashville and San Jose? San Jose, yes. Nashville, not yet. Not yet. 51 points. They are six back of the Vegas Golden Knights and the Arizona Coyotes. What if Pekka Rene got hot? It's possible. Okay. How about Minnesota? They're actually ahead of Nashville. I'm going to say Minnesota has a very, 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 very outside chance, but they played better, and and Devin Dubnik, after coming back from that family situation, has been much better. Their tandem has been pretty good. Who knows? Okay, of these four teams, Arizona, Vegas, Chicago, and Winnipeg, which two get in? I mean, Arizona and Vegas. Wow, okay, so it's going to stay chalk. And yeah. will the Vancouver Canucks win the Pacific Division? They're in first place right now. No, 
Who was it going to be, Edmonton or Calgary? I'm, I'm going to go Calgary just on the outside, outside chance. All right. Well, Russ, that's episode 67. Some of your finest work, my man. Well, I appreciate it. Now right, my cat fe- wants to get in. Yeah, go feed your cat and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Everybody, enjoy your all-star break. We'll talk to you next time on the Stick Talking Podcast.